presented by the Nation. I'm your host, Sam Blazer, and this week I am joined by staff writer of The Athletic Edmonton, Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, I appreciate you joining the show today. Hey, it's always fun to do stuff for the nation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, we're obviously here to talk about the Oilers and everything that's been happening there, and there's a lot of questions to get to, but I guess the biggest question and the question that's on everyone's mind is about the uh, general manager, Peter Chiarelli. Uh what do you think of the press tour he just went on? And I know that you just wrote uh, a little something about this. Is the is the hot seat really hot right now for him? Well, it's. I'll take the second part first. That, that's a tough question to answer because ultimately the people that have the decision aren't, aren't going to tell us. Uh, I think mm-hmm. if the fans had their way, Peter Shirley would be in a lot of trouble, and, and he may be, but... Uh, you know, we, we don't know what communication he's had with ownership or with, with people like Bob Nicholson and Wayne Gretzky. So it's it, it's hard to have a firm read on that unless you, you know, are in, intimately acquainted with those guys' thoughts. Um, as for the press tour, I, I thought it was pretty interesting that he, you know, came out with this vote of confidence in the coach at a time where the team's in trouble, but most of the scrutiny feels like it's on the general manager rather than on Todd McClellan. So, so that was interesting. And 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 to me, it was odd that he wasn't a little, he didn't approach it a little bit differently because when he got some questions about his own record, he didn't really seem prepared to answer them. Like he had very, very scripted talking points about the coach, but on his own, like, I, I don't know if he didn't expect to talk about himself or, or what, but his uh, his answers in defense of his own actions were, were not that convincing. Interesting. And I guess it's going to lead me into my next question. Is, is it going to be a kind of a chicken in the egg type deal here or how exactly is this going to break down for the Oilers is it is it going to is there going to be a move to be made now or is it going to be something that they try to write it out and see what happens because it seems like it's either the general manager or the coach and it just seems like right now a move needs to be made but that could just be the uh, fervor from the fans yeah well if you're trading if you're making a move on the GM front you're not doing it for for in-season results right like when, when you when you make a decision on the GM, it's because you've decided that the the overall strategy has broken down, and uh, and and you need to make a, a change immediately. So the reason you do that in season is because you were worried that he was going to do something reckless or something foolish at the trade deadline. Generally, those moves happen in the summer. Uh, as for the coach, like I I kind of see both like there's a bunch of different ways to look at it, but. At this point, the season's so far gone that making a coaching change probably doesn't change uh, doesn't change the outcome for the season anyway. And if you do make a change at either position, you're probably only putting an interim guy in place so you can you can do a full search in the summer. So I have some sympathy for the argument that even if you are going to make a change, you don't do it to the off season at at either position. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it makes sense at least from you know. Uh, in a bigger picture, that they would do any, anything like that, and so I guess I have to ask you about the players themselves and what what's been taking place. Connor McDavid has obviously been performing. Leon Draisaitl has also, you know, stepped up to the plate. Ryan Nugent Hopkins as well. But after that, there seems to be a big drop off, and then there's need for offense. But then the defense has moved out, been uh, moved out for offense, and there's been all kinds of different moves. H- how do you start to rebuild this team properly? Well, I I do think that you have to look at the core and, and say, and, and and just kind of realize that there there are a lot of good pieces there, um, you, you've, and a lot of good young pieces, both at center and on defense. 
having said that, the the moves of the last few years that have been predicated on on getting rid of some skill and making this team, you know, sort of a bigger, safer, more mature team, I, I think we're starting to see the downside of that. I I still think the Oilers are a, a solid team. Um, you know, if they were to go into next season with the same roster, I would say they've got a decent shot at the playoffs. But the uh, when, when you when you ship out some of the high end skill, I'm obviously talking about Hall and Eberle and, and guys like that. When when you do that, you make yourself more vulnerable to 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 downturns. Like every team has these ups and downs and has bad things happen. And last year, the Oilers had pretty much all good things happen and looked great. And this year, it's been a lot of bad things, uh, injuries, uh, poor performances, things like that. And and things have looked really terrible. But you make yourself more vulnerable when you reduce the overall skill level of the team. So to me, they need to find a way to bring that back. And the, and the only way to do it at this point is to find bargain guys. You have to find talent that's being overlooked because you don't have the assets to uh, to trade out for it. And and maybe the answer to that is waiting on Puliyarvi and, and Yamamoto. Uh, you know, I'd I'd like to say there's more of a rush on it, but McDavid's entry level contract's already over, so they're paying him in Drysital now. This is there. There's no big rush really. It's uh, there, there's no cheap years left to exploit. They just have to figure out a way to make it work. Uh, your sigh was telling there on when talking about the younger players and then possibly the development and pushing in there. And so I got I got to ask you especially as you know a uh, blue jacket writer obviously seeing Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, play all the time. What do you think of Jesse Pugliarvi and uh, his development thus far? It looks like he's uh, been playing pretty well at least from the games that I've seen and he's fitting in um on skill lines. Yeah, I've always liked Pugliarvi. I've been a little bit concerned about his his overall offensive potential. When you look at his scoring history, it's there's there are some things there to suggest that maybe he won't be a high end scorer at the NHL level. And I don't think we have the answer to that yet. But he's certainly been encouraging since being recalled to the, the NHL. Uh, he's fit in really well on Connor McDavid's line. Um, I think the thing that maybe surprised me the most about him is how well he's worked with Milan Lucic, because they're, they're very different players. But his speed seems to complement uh, Lucic's brain, and and it's a good matchup. So. There's reason to be encouraged there. Um, I I do think he's coming along slower, slower than was expected, but uh, that, that's a good player. Definitely. And I guess another player that came in with high expectations and there wasn't really anything to... Uh... You know, kind of lower them, at least for what he was traded for. Ryan Strom, uh, obviously acquired uh, in the Jordan Eberle trade, had a mountain of expectations uh, put on him. But he is six on the team in scoring. Um, obviously, you expect more than what you've gotten from him. What what can he really do <laughs> at this point in time to make sure that he's uh, an integral part of this team? I, You know, the ship may already have sailed there. The Oilers have to qualify him at a three million dollar cap at his his salary rather than his uh, his his average annual value. They have to qualify him at three million dollars this summer, and I mean, he's been fine. Like, I, there's this notion that he's really disappointed, but he's more or less in line with his career numbers in New York. Uh, he, this is I like if you weren't expecting this, you, you were hoping for more, and and hope is hope is not a plan, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should be somebody should put that on <laughs> on stone and and carve it and install it in the Oilers' offices. Hope is not a plan, but but anyway, they, they may already have made a decision on Strom. The the words from the front office have not been encouraging on him. I like him fine, but he's he's kind of just a guy. Like he he's uh 
he's a competent third line center slash right wing. Um, he can move up to the second line if you need him to, but he's he's not a dynamic presence. He's not a big time goal scorer. And uh, hoping that he would match Everlay's production based on their two histories was always always a, a kind of a fool's bet. It, it really was, and that's what's a shame about it is you get a player to come in, he has these expectations, and they're they're already uh, they're already way way too high for him to meet it, and it's just uh, it's just a shame to see where uh, that ended up, uh, or I guess is ending up at, at the moment. Um, well, and it, it, really, it really is on the GM because oh, totally. the, the, the conceit the conceit there is that you use that cap space for something else. But when you when you make that trade that sacrifices talent, and then you don't use the cap space. You know, it all falls on Ryan Strom, and and poor Ryan Strom, he's you know he's he's many things, but he's not a a, a Jordan Eberle level goal scorer. Yeah, and it's just a it's tough to see with these players because then it's so the same way with free agent signings and things like that. Especially when uh, I mean things like what happened with uh, David Clarkson in Toronto. It's like I mean they signed him. <laughs> what, yeah. what is what is he supposed to do as a person? Obviously, he's going to take it and run. Um, but I guess I, I want to talk a little bit more. We've been talking on the big level of the. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers. I want to talk more recently. Last night they played in a game where an offside review just absolutely just bungled their any chances of them coming back. What did you? What do you make of offside reviews? What do you make of that call last night? And what do you think the league can do in general to really just kind of curb uh, the delay and curb the uh, the I guess uh, dire <laughs> dire feelings from a lot of the uh, the fans and players. Well, you're always going to have calls go against you, and, and that is the established rule. Like if if you look at what the league is trying to do, the the ruling against the Oilers was in accordance with what they've done all season. And you know you can't argue it. It, it. it is what it is. You can say it's not a good rule, and that's not based on last night's game. But when you get to the point where you're like, was the guy skate a millimeter off the ice, and you're calling back goals based on it, I, to me it's it's just such a ticky tacky play that there's no real need to review it. If it were me, I'd say if your if your foot is still the plane of the offside line, if it's still on the right side of the plane of the offside line, you're still on side rather than is the skate on or off the ice. I think a little bit of discretion there is is a good thing. It's not going to materially change the 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 integrity of the rule, but at the same time, it's going to result in a little bit more goal scoring. I, I think that would be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I think it's kind of a silly rule. I think it hurts the league because it drives away some goal scoring. But, but the rule is what the rule is. And, and unfortunately for Edmonton, they're in this position where, you know, if, if they're in the playoffs by eight points, they don't really care that – well, I mean, they still care. But it, it doesn't really matter that they, they lose a tying goal with five minutes left. But when you're nine points out, um, you, you put yourself in a situation where that really, really hurts you. Without a doubt. Now, I, I guess I have a question for you in the more – uh, analytical sense. One of the things that I've seen people point to is the absolute domination from the Oilers at, uh, of course, at even strength, and then the the PDO of a lot of players that has gone down. What what do you think the symptoms are to that? And do you think that this is something that they'll eventually end up coming around by the end of the year and then ma- maybe mask some of the problems that the Oilers had? I've seen that a couple times with the Blue Jackets. I've seen that a couple times with a lot of other teams uh, when they do when they need uh, when they should be selling off or you know they could sell off a couple pieces, but then they see a couple wins and then are happy with the result. Is that is that something that could be coming down the pike for the Oilers? 
Yes and no. Um, we, we've already seen some regression from because at the start of the year they were dominating the shot clock and, and just getting whipped in the goals department, and that really has come around over the course of the year. That's improved a, a considerable deal. But it hasn't bridged the entirety of the gap, and I don't think it ever will. And and the reason I say that is when you look at who's taking the shots, because the, the thing with Corsi is it's one of those things that if if all factors are equal, you're going to be the, the Corsi is a better better indication of your goal scoring level than than your goals are early on because it's just such a big number but when you really dig into it guys do have different talent shooting percentage um and when you look at the oilers individually as a team most of the players that are are firing pucks are firing at about their career level of ability and a big part of the reason for that is a huge percentage of these shots are coming from the defensemen relative to last year. Um, my, my colleague Tyler Dello wrote a, a great piece on this like yesterday, and I, I can't remember what his number was, but something like defensemen are shooting 30% more this year than they were last year. Wow. And when you get all those shots from the blue line, you know, they, they just aren't as valuable as, as shots from, from in close. Ha- having said that, I do think the Oilers are better than uh, basically a, a break-even team at even strength, which is what they've been this year. The scoring chances show them being better. The shot metrics are obviously even better than that. I, I would expect they improve, but I, I don't think they're they're ever going to match their course as long as they're you know depending on on shots from defensemen. Now we talk about the defenseman and a player that just returned is Andre Sakara and what he was able to do. Um... Uh, in the past, and now he's uh, returning. He's putting up uh, great numbers, at least analytically, and uh, with his underlying numbers. What, what do you make of his return, and what they need to do with him moving forward? Do you think that they need to be, you know, like bringing him along slowly, or is this something where they're just going to toss him to the wolves and see how he does, and uh, and just kind of keep pushing for a possible playoff run? Well, they they have sort of brought him along slowly. Like we saw him sit out the. The, the second half of a back-to-back the other day. Um, when, he, when he came back, he came back in a third-pairing role initially. He, I thought he looked really good in his first game back, but he, like he's, he's not the player he was. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that's a big surprise. You can't just step into the NHL in January having not played since the past May, coming off you know this serious leg injury and, uh, and, and instantly be back to, to mid-season form. So it, it's a process. I, I think with, with him you're worried less about the playoffs and, and the team ramifications and more just about having him up to speed by the end of the year and making sure that he is a player you can count on going into next year. Like, I mean, <laughs> Edmonton's familiar with this. It's it's January and it's next year time. Everything you're doing is, is aimed at the following season, really. Uh, we, we talked about that and I, uh, about falling into the next season. I, I brought it up a little bit. And, of course, the trade deadline always seems to be looming, and it always seems to be what's delaying or what's pushing uh, deals along. It, what kind of market is this for the Oilers? Because, I, like we talked about uh, earlier in the conversation, there seems to be good pieces there. There seems to be uh, different – like the, there's contracts that they really can't do anything with. Uh, what kind of – what kind of – way are they approaching the trade deadline and do you think it's going to be uh, any, anything drastically different than what they've done in years past? I think it's going to be a pretty traditional sell-off the rentals type trade deadline. Um, I, I expect we'll see Patrick Maroon moved, um, probably Mark Latestu, possibly Mike Camilleri if there's value there or value to be had, I, I guess. Um, 
you know, maybe maybe we see a, a, a less expected move, like something like Ryan Strom, just because they they look at his qualifying offer and they think to themselves, well, you know, maybe we want to move that out. So I, I don't think we're going to see anything weird from them. They'll they'll sell off their pending free agents if they're clever. Like I shouldn't put it that way because it makes it sound like, <laughs> but but anyway, um, I guess the one thing that you might like to see from them is if they can add some. NHL younger NHL body right now Mm -hmm. Uh, somebody who's maybe undervalued Anthony declares the obvious guy but there are there are other candidates out there who who could be on the move I I think that would be a a logical thing to audition a guy like that over the remainder of the season and see if he can work for them yeah Duclair's a great name there and I I I think he'd be a great addition on a whole lot of teams but especially on an Oilers team that moves quickly as they do, uh, at least in the transition, that'd be fantastic. Now, I kind of want to switch gears with you a little bit in the NHL. Um, I want to ask you about what your biggest surprise of the year has been thus far. And, I mean, there's a lot of candidates, the Golden Knights, the Devils. Do you have, I mean, heck, you could even talk about a player or two. What's your been your biggest surprise in the NHL so far? Yeah, you hit on, hit on two of my three at the team level. Um, Vegas... Like I, I didn't think Vegas was going to be bad, but I didn't think they'd be anywhere near this good. Oh yeah, because I, I didn't see them having the, the top end talent. Um, I, I'm a big believer in elite players driving things, and and the fact that Vegas is doing as well as they are, it 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 tells us uh, like either either that's wrong theoretically, and, and I'm wrong on that, which is entirely possible, or or more likely I think is that the way we assess players and evaluate players is is pretty flawed at the moment. Um, so that's that's been a surprise. New Jersey's been a surprise, although the less of one, just because that division is such a such a meat grinder of a division that I I always thought they were better than they looked last year. I I didn't mm-hmm. think they'd be leading it this year. Um, but the the other surprise is Colorado. Like Colorado has quietly had this stunning campaign. They were minus 112 in goal differential last year. They might make the playoffs this year. You barely hear anything about it, but they've uh, they've been a tremendous story. They definitely have. I, I, it's been interesting watching them. And Jared Bednar, I, a lot of people were calling for his head last year, but it's been slow and steady, and they've kind of let the team do what it needs to do. And there's been moves uh, on the defensive end to push it kind of more towards uh, more offensive friendly. And it's been interesting to watch the, them uh, grow, and uh, especially they have one of the better first lines too. Looking at what they do, uh, uh, you know, the shot differential, it's actually pretty fascinating to see what they they've been able to do. So, would you? Would you qualify? Would you say any of those players on that team would be are surprising, or is it kind of just uh, o- overall the team? Um, to, to some extent, like I, like I think we all knew Nathan McKinnon was a talented guy, but he's mm-hmm. had a great year. Uh, when I look at Colorado, I, I kind of look at Tyson Berry as as an example of a player who you know you know when guys have these bad years and. A lot of times you'll see them traded and they go to the other team and they rebound and people go, oh, well, they, they really desperately needed that change of scenery. And it's that change of scenery that, that did things. Well, Barry didn't really get that. He improved. You can make the same case for Matt Duchesne, who they hung on to and, and who had a good start before they traded him off. Um, but I, I don't think there's any shocking shocking changes there. And, and maybe that's something that, you know, to tie back into our conversation about the Oilers that, that, that Edmonton can learn from is just that sometimes players look good, better than they are or worse than they are. And, and if you, you're willing to hang on and, and, and uh, really work with the guys, they'll, they'll come around for you. 
It's so true. And you, you see it time and time again when people expect to sell off and they end up sitting there. You you end up finding out more often than not that there's a, a chance for a rebound season of some sort. Now, Jonathan, I, I got to ask you this before I let you go here. If you had one hot take for the second half of the season, something that a lot of people aren't going to be looking out for, uh, what is the hot take that you'd like to present and uh, uh, put out there uh, for our listeners here? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, hot take for the second half of the year. I'm, uh... I put you on the spot. I, I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no. It's, it's a good question, but my, my, my mind is rebelling against me. <laughs> I'm, having, I'm having trouble coming up with something really radical that, uh, that I'd say is going to happen in the, in the, in the second half. Uh, I, I think Vegas will cool a little bit, but that's, that's not really um, – oh, Golly, golly gee, I, I, uh, I'm sorry. I, I don't really have a, have a good one for you off the top of my head. No, it's all, it's all good. The, the one that I've been kind of rattling around in my head recently is that I uh, I think that there's going to be multiple GMs fired within the next couple of months. Not, I mean, m- multiple not as in like seven, but you know, I think it'll be one or two or possibly one is going to step down after the season and there's a succession plan. I, I, I feel like that's something that we don't normally see during the year, but with – the divide in the Eastern Conference, especially in the Atlantic Division, I feel like you know um, Montreal could be right for the picking. You could see Ken Holland uh, end up st- stepping down and you know transitioning into another. That's the one that, I, for whatever reason, every single time I look at that division, I keep thinking. I was like, there's just some fundamental problems with those teams, and that no, they're not being addressed by anyone, and it's been happening for years and years. But that's I. I that's my hottest take, and you know that's probably only like uh, a picante chili. You know, it's not some, it's not something too, uh, too out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one though. I mean, there's there's so many guys going into last year their contracts on the GM front, and it, it could be kind of a radical year in terms of of shaking up the the status quo around the league in terms of who's who's running these franchises because, you know, like you pointed out, there there are a lot of candidates. Um, both in the East and West, like you look at Vancouver, you look maybe at Arizona after the year they've had, there there are definitely teams that could make a change on that front. With, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, now, Jonathan, before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to plug your Twitter, uh, plug where your writing can be found, and maybe uh, plug an article that, you, you, uh, that you've uh, worked on recently that we should uh, all check out over at The Athletic. I, I appreciate that. My, uh, my Twitter feed is at Jonathan Willis. Basically, everything I write, wherever it shows up, uh, shows up there at some point. So, so definitely check that out. And, and maybe I'll plug an upcoming piece. The Oilers' bye week is coming up next week. We're going to do a whole bunch of uh, in-depth stuff on the first half of the year. So, so stay tuned for that. Awesome, fantastic! And for everybody listening, we'll be back next week. You can follow me at Sam at Sam underscore Blazer, and you can uh, subscribe to the podcast anywhere uh, podcasts are found. So until then, we appreciate you guys for listening. Bye.